Welcome to Bench Reactions, an NBA podcast brought to you by Bozo Dubbed Over. <laughs> Does he want to know what that is? <laughs> the, the new hit uh, YouTube video, Bozo Dubbed Over. Anybody? Wait, Patrick, I'm seeing that it only has one view and it was uploaded this morning. <laughs> And I think it says your name on the account. Somebody... <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'm your host, Patrick Hervey, and I'm joined today by some hashtag weirdos, Chase Baker, Dan Lyons, and Jason Lambrecht. What's up, dudes? Hey. Hashtag weirdo. <laughs> uh, Hello, 2009 called. Twitter wants their user back. <laughs> Uh, no, but see, actually, Elon Musk wants you back. <laughs> he said he really, uh, he really needs it, and he needs you to sign up for Twitter Blue. I could see Dylan Brooks paying that eight dollars. I could see it. <laughs> that dude is thirsty. Dylan Brooks is about you. to make a LinkedIn profile at this point too. You know what I'm saying? Got <laughs> to oh, change the narrative, dude. He's got to change the narrative that the media has uh, unfairly. <laughs> The woke media media is out to get it. He's not talking to the press, that's for sure. So you might as well start tweeting and putting those LinkedIn posts up. He's going to, yeah, he doesn't talk to, that's why after every game, he doesn't talk to like the regular NBA press. He goes and talks to like, uh, like uh, Truth Social or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's Parlor and Truth Social. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is taking a weird turn. (laughs) All right. On today's episode, we are doing some mid-series superlatives. We're going to talk through uh, the keys to each series moving forward. And finally, we will wrap up with Dan's Mud Pie moment of the week. Okay, so let's kick off this first topic. Again, mid-series superlatives. Here's what we're going to do in this segment. I should add that we are recording this at uh, 10 o'clock p.m. Central on Sunday, May 7th. So we just got done with the uh, the Denver-Phoenix game. Phoenix walked away victorious. I would say it was a pretty fun game, uh, fun game overall. But um, again, in this segment, what we're going to do is we're going to give out different superlatives for the second round of the playoffs up to this point. We have some different categories we're going to take a look at, and we're going to start with best series. Best series. I'm going to look at my guy, Dan. What do you got for us, Dan? Best series so far. Okay. Best series so far. And there's a little bit of recency bias here. Uh, because this game just finished, but I like the Denver Phoenix series two two um, Phoenix tied the series today on an absolutely wild game. Really incredible shot making from both teams. Incredible play from Nikola Jokic. I think he finished with 53 points um, on just like just absurd, absurd shot making. And I don't know. It looked like Phoenix was dead in the water, right? They're down two zero. They come back to Phoenix, and then game three, Devin Booker goes off for 47 points. Um, they uh, Coming into today's game, I, it looked like Phoenix's game plan was like, okay, we're going to stay home on everyone else. We're going to make Nikola Jokic beat us, and we're going to take the lumps from Jokic, which, which they did. And um, on offense, Phoenix replaced Josh Okogie and Torrey Craig with Landry Shamit and TJ Warren who it turns out when you play guys who can shoot, it really opens up the floor. Also Landry Shamit had an incredible fourth quarter. I think he hit four or five threes and really just opened up the floor for everything. But you know, two, two going back to Denver now, right? We got a little three game series. They say a series doesn't start until the road team wins. And so, yeah, we'll see. This has just been an absolutely 
Um, I think it's been an incredible series, incredible last couple of games from Phoenix, showing a lot of guts that I don't know if anybody thought that they had. And it's, yeah, it's just been awesome. It's kind of nuts to to say that this series has probably been the best one so far if you're talking about just close games because after the first two games in Denver, man, I was like, this thing is, it's a wrap. It's over. Phoenix is not going to be able to figure out this Denver offense. They're not going to be, they're not going to be able to keep up on offense. And man, was I, was I wrong? I know I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that when we get to the best player uh, section, we may have a certain shout out for somebody that's playing in the series right now. So I don't want to steal too much of, uh, of Jason's thunder. Cause he's going to be taking that one, but yeah, just to your point, Dan, just next level shot making. I know I joked tonight that, Phoenix at one point was uh, shooting approximately 87% on jumpers, but that's honestly what it felt like. It was just hand in the face, jumper after jumper after jumper, finding open guys, making the right decision. We'll see what happens in Denver. I mean, all of that, you know, shot making, it still was a very close game down the stretch. So I think this mm-hmm. is going to be a fun game five in Denver. I'm, I'm hoping that it's close. I'm hoping that Denver doesn't come out and, and smash Phoenix. Yeah, not a ton of defense being played in that game today. Um, it was it was competitive. There was some some attempts at playing defense, but I don't think either team has a, is putting a lot of stoppers out there right now. Phoenix does not have the guys to even like be more than a bug on Jokic's windshield right now. No offense to Jock Landale, who was really doing his darndest. And I mean, at least he's trying. Yes, exactly. Unlike another big guy on Phoenix. Yeah. Just going to throw that out there. Yeah. Bismack Biombo? <laughs> Catching strays. <laughs> wow. But also... Sorry, sorry Bismack. But also, like, you know, the fact that I, I Jokic had an incredible game offensively, but I I think you're seeing, you know, they can't switch, right? They can't switch picks with Jokic out there, uh, and that's creating, you know, these these four-on-threes or these swing, swing, swings that are leading to Landry Shamit threes in the corner. Uh, and so it's, he, you know, as we've known, he gives a lot and he taketh away a little bit. And if they uh, hit their shots, um, they can take advantage of that. And we'll see if his floater is, continues to be automatic. But this is the kind of game, I will say, this is the kind of game that I always said I had not seen personally from Jokic, but just being just attack mode for 48 minutes, all the props. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of nuts to see him in the playoffs, right? Because you don't, you honestly don't really see this side of him at all in the regular season. We've seen it come out. I mean, not 53 points, but we've seen this come out in the past in playoff games. But it is um, a little bit of a, a weird experience to sit, sit here and watch him just attack, 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 attack. Um, I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hopeful that Denver's sort of role guys come out and play maybe a little bit better in game five. Um, Jamal had a, a pretty decent game. Michael Porter Jr. just continues to be frustrating beyond belief with his shot selection. Um, there was a play, and again, I know I texted you guys about this, but there was a play in the fourth quarter with like four minutes left. Denver gets a stop out in transition. MPJ gets the ball. I'm pretty sure they had a four on three or three on two. Just pulls up, pulls a trigger from three with like 22 seconds left on the shot clock. Aiden comes up, alters the shot, air ball. They go the other way. I mean, those are the types of things that that can swing a game, right? If he makes a better decision, if he dumps it off to somebody who's maybe cutting down the lane, they get an easy layup. It's it's at that point, I think what I think they were down maybe three or four. So 
you're cutting it to a one possession game and instead the ball goes the other way. And I think it resulted in Phoenix getting free throws. So, um, I mean, those are the types of decisions that they do. They really need to kind of shore up in game five. But again, I'm hopeful that, that, that will be the case. Yeah. It was like Michael, a chance for Michael Porter jr. A shooter from Denver to show his quality. I mean, it looked like he was shooting to like, he was afraid that he wasn't going to get the ball back. Right. Like that's, that's the types of shots that he was taking. And that was actually a pretty distinct difference from, from Phoenix. It really looked like, right. I mean, think about a guy like TJ Warren, a guy who scored like 50 points. He's been a scorer basically his whole career. And he's part of those swing, swing um, movements for, for Phoenix. And they were getting great looks. Right. And I do think that, right. Like Torrey Craig and, and, and Josh Okogie and, and those guys, Landry Shamit was just ready with the trigger and stepping into the shots with confidence in a way that Akogi and Torrey Craig, even though they're defensively much better, they, they just couldn't do it. And so Phoenix, I think, had a really, really good game plan, right? And let's just not like underestimate, to your point, Jason, the absolute absurd shot making from, from Nikola Jokic, right? It was just unbelievable. You know, he had an answer. He scored on, I think, everybody on Phoenix's team, sometimes all at the same time. Like, it was crazy. But I do like Phoenix's risk, to say, okay, if we're going to lose, Jokic is going to score 60, right? And he scored 53, right? Like there were, and there were a couple bunnies that, that he missed, but right. You take 30 shots in a game, right? You're not going to hit every one. And so it was, it was a gamble by Phoenix and I liked it. And it was really fun to see Nikola Jokic just like, okay, I'm going to punish it. But when Nikola Jokic does go into that mode, then you get guys like Michael Porter Jr. being like, ah, like I need to shoot right away or like Jokic wants to get everybody involved. It's not his game to just, to just take it to him. So I think it actually was a good idea or at least it paid off today for Denver or for Phoenix to say, okay, Jokic, you're going to be a scorer today. I, from my perspective, I see these different series having the second round from, uh, from the standpoint of like, which, what, what is like a team's narrative right now, at least in relation to like how, how has each crew played, together in regards to the time that they've been able to play together. When I look at Denver versus Phoenix, Phoenix has kind of like that new, like, Oh, you know what? We haven't been playing together that long. Like there's some flexibility where he talked about KD, how well he plugs in. Um, and even though they sacrificed a lot of depth to get KD, the shooters just showed up and they're going to shoot Landry Shamet, especially since his time uh, in Philadelphia with the Sixers. His identity is that he like he subs in the game and he shoots threes. Same thing he's doing in Phoenix so far this series. He comes in the game, shoots threes. KD obviously is going to show up and be KD. Uh, Denver, on the other hand, still even still has a little bit of this identity crisis because of how much um, their main guys have been injured. Right, I think with one of the reason Michael reasons Michael Porter Jr. like still looks like he's shooting like he's sort of like fighting for his job is because in a sense he kind of is like you can tell the team trusts him. They give him some minutes, but like he, he would like get to the corner and still be like doing these like fadeaway threes, like out to the sideline. Like he did that a couple times tonight. And I'm like, dude, like, why are you doing that? It's almost as if to say like, Hey, I belong here. I'm going to, I'm going to like, I don't have to square up. I'm going to shoot this three. Like, and then, and I I don't know. It, It feels like that, what you just said, Dan, about, the Suns really putting the pressure on Jokic just to be Jokic and score is working because as as a team, as an identity, they haven't all really cemented themselves like their starting five. They don't have enough time as as a starting five to be able to like have the confidence to go to be in the second round and say, all right, we know we know what to do. We've been here before. 
because the the guys themselves as as a group of players they don't have they don't have all that time together so they don't have that confidence and with the suns they're so new as a team that it's it's kind of like the jazz at the beginning of the season like they went 10 and 2 cuz it was just like we're just we're just showing up to play ball like we're just having a good time and you still get that vibe right now with the suns right there's some issues but like they're showing up and each of their guys are playing their game and it gels so much better right now than denver does absolutely and you can see I mean, also, let's not underestimate Kevin Durant, right? Like, we've gone all this time, haven't talked about how incredibly consistent Kevin Durant has been in the series. I don't know what his averages are, but I think he's averaging over 30. You know, today, again, he coughed up some turnovers. That was kind of an issue that I saw with him, both in passing and just sort of coughing up his dribble, which seemed a little uncharacteristic, but so incredibly efficient scoring, took great shots, just lived right at the, you know, the free throw line. Um, and hit a couple of really timely threes as well. And then let's also, you know, I know that we love to hate on Devin Booker, but we can't underestimate how locked in he Dude. is right now. There was a, there was a stretch in at the end of the third quarter when he hit, I mean, it felt like 11 threes in a row. It was probably like two and like maybe like an elbow jumper, but he was just absolutely locked in. And then after the game in the post game, he, they mentioned he has shot 79% from the field in the, in the last two games. Right. And to, to your point about like jump shots, right. These are mostly jump shots. It's absolutely bananas, right? Like this, this is math breaking and like back breaking type shooting and shot making. And right. So you have Booker and, um, and Katie out there may have been a little bit of addition by subtraction without Chris Paul. Uh, I loved their closing lineup with Booker Durant, TJ Warren, Landry Shamit, and and Aiton, where you have enough playmaking actually in both Kevin Durant and and Booker, where as as Jay mentioned earlier, right, those doubles came for Kevin Durant, they came for Booker, and they could just get those quick swing swings and open shooters in the corners. So it's uh I don't know, it'll be interesting to see if Michael Malone has anything up his sleeve to counter matchup wise. To your point, Chase about like Denver and their identity and time to figure it out. You know what do they do? Big, big kudos to Monty Williams for shuffling the lineup and finding something that worked. That's it seems like that that's really what playoff basketball is about is like, okay, who can I trust? What lineup combinations are going to work? Do you have the guts to make the right lineup change? And do you and can you time your lineup change as well? Like, you just know that they're going to struggle. Just this last quick note about the Nuggets. Like, the last time people really talked about Jamal Murray, like Jamal Murray's playing pretty well. But the last time people talked about him playing this well was in the bubble. Like this three years ago. Like that that goes to show how like not cemented like Denver's top guys are right now. But and on the other hand, KD, plug and play, like uh, uh, uh six six assists, eleven rebounds tonight. Like the dude's like he shows up and he plays. He shows up and he plays and he's passing the ball no matter what team he's on. And that's totally working right now for for the Suns, especially with this, you know, potential addition by subtraction with Chris Paul sitting out. It's working. It's working. Okay. Let's move on to our, our next superlative, which is best game of the second round so far. I will go ahead and take this one. I really, really, really wanted to go with game three Lakers Warriors because of the sheer amount of joy that I experienced watching the Warriors get absolutely <laughs> smashed by the Lakers. Lakers did the dub. Um, oh my did the God. dub. Snip, snap. Snip, they snap. sure did, man. I, I say like the sheer joy I had. Um, I didn't actually watch it live. I didn't watch the second half live because I'm uh, I'm a little superstitious. And in game two, I did watch most of the game and Golden State blew out the Lakers. So I'm thinking, Jay, I'll probably just skip 
game four and uh, and hope for the best. No, I so um, that's my subjective take. My my objective take is probably game four of Philly Boston, which took place today. It was just like the quintessential full Boston and Philly experience. At one point, watching it, you thought Philly was was had the potential to run away with it. I mean, Embiid and, and Harden. That pick and roll duo it was just pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. They were absolutely picking apart Boston's defense and scoring at will. And then just like they do, I mean, speaking of snip snap, Dan, I mean, I think the Celtics have uh, have something to say about uh, whether or not the Warriors are the 2023 playoff snip snap team of the year or if they are, because Boston does have the ability to just turn it on when they want. I feel like especially defensively, offensively, I mean, that team can get I think whatever shots they want, it just depends on what what level of discipline they want to have that night. So Boston comes roaring back. Um, it was like the full Doc Rivers experience too. Like <laughs> not, I mean, just like it seemed to be crapping his pants on the sideline as everything was happening. And, you know, I, I, Tatum gets away with a, a full-on forearm shiver at the end on, uh, on Maxi, hits that three, ties the game up. And then to have smart, I mean, how, what was it like 0.1, 0.2, like a, a tenth of a second that he missed that three by that would have won the game was just like, it was just the back and forth, the full Joel experience. Um, I mean, I, I'll i be honest, like seeing Harden play the way he did was a complete shock to me. I thought he had gotten that one game out of his system in game one and then was going to have the typical, I mean, the last two games he has gone playoff Harden. But um, he was back in full force tonight, and we've got ourselves a series, boys. I thought this was going to be over in five games, probably. Like, I thought Philly had gotten their first game, and that was going to be it for them. But, I, I mean, truthfully, I still think Boston's probably going to win, but this is a lot more This is a lot more fun of a series than I thought it would be. Yeah, I think today's game was, like, the bad kind of good. Like, it's, like, down the stretch. It was... It was yeah, that's a good way to it put it. It was close. It was <laughs> Right, yeah, that kind of good. It was like anxious, but there was a lot of really bad basketball happening down the stretch in overtime. Never, ever count out whoever Doc Rivers is playing against, uh, no matter how big the lead is. Also, <laughs> also, can we just talk about how Blake Griffin is on the Celtics? So there's possibly a situation where we could use like a, it's not on Blake quote at some point like, <laughs> that came to mind i'm like i'm like i need to be able to say that at least once <laughs> it's not a bike it's not a bike <laughs> but glenn the musical guy yeah i just nothing like uh nothing like the ball ending up in marcus smart's hands at the end of regulation oh gosh, and the end of ot just chef's kiss for a celtics hater um, the ultimate, I got this guy. I mean, it's either him or Jordan Poole for me. Like, I got yeah. this. You have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Horford. Like, you're going to be the one to take. I mean, he hit the one in regulation, so props to him. But it's he's always a no, 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 yes, yes. guy. First oh. team All-NBA, I I got this. Ball, ball me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. To your point earlier, Pat, I, I gotta I gotta eat some crow with uh, with James Harden as well. I think I called it at the beginning of the series, like, hey, he's gonna have a great game, and then he's gonna you know shoot crappy. That's what happened. And so for him to show up like this, forty two points again. I mean, for a guy who's who's gone through as much like playoff strife like as him, and he's had good games in the playoffs for sure, right? But those I'm showing up in the moment type of type of plays from him, he had. 
I think he had the tying floater with a few seconds left in regulation, right? After a great game, he played a phenomenal game to that point. It was in his bag, hitting shots, just, just doing great. And to hit the floater, to show up in that moment, huge. And then in overtime, to hit that, again, that patented step back three to take the lead. Hey, James, you must listen to the pod. Way to show they, me up. I don't even know if it was Good a job. step back, man. I think it was Joel finding him no, wide yeah, open in the corner, open wasn't the corner. it? I mean, yep. he was just a catch and shoot. He was Maybe wide a open. little step aside, but yeah. Dan, yeah. would, Dan, yeah, yeah, would yeah, uh, yeah. James Harden qualify as a what is dead may never got die guy at this point? Like <laughs> James Harden, what is dead may never so die? He's so bad in the playoffs <laughs> that like he he hit rock bottom, and so he's just playing with house money at this point because everyone expects him to be bad. Like I, I'm seeing some, a little bit of that. He looked calm. He looked like a guy who's he been did, through yeah. battles today which is not really what you expect well, and he's playing he's playing like he doesn't have to be like he doesn't have to bear the shoulder of his full responsibility right like there are guys that like kind of step out of that limelight when they feel like they know that they're in charge they know they're the top dog but like they're like ah like they didn't do well and they don't want to answer to it and so they're like mm, nah right so like they kind of back off they back off from the big talk um but Harden doesn't have that problem anymore cuz Embiid is very clearly right like running his team and so he's not only is he playing with this uh house money related to his um his reputation in the playoffs but he's he can like fully rely and say you know what it's okay like I'm going to take the shot because I know Joel is probably going to make a bucket out of you know once out of these next two or three possessions and it it shows like uh Harden had 42 tonight he scored more than MB did uh he only had one turnover on nine assists like you can tell he's playing like far more loose uh with the team and and it, and it drives me nuts because if I'm a Sixers fan like I'm on top of the world I'm feeling good but I'm not feeling good with how close this game was knowing that Jason Tatum only scored two points in the first half and had such a late start for his contributions. And it was still such a close game. Like this series is it more or less still Boston's to lose no matter how well Embiid and Harden play together. I still think Boston's the best team in the league that's left over in the playoffs right now. I mean, time will tell just because they're the best on paper doesn't mean that they'll actually make it through. And that's the biggest thing with them is like, it dates back to last season. I just don't, when the lights get brightest, I'm not sure I fully trust this team. I'm I'm not sure I fully trust Tatum, to be honest. I think he does a lot of amazing things, but giving the ball to him with, you know, 10 seconds left, like that the last possession in OT was just it was terrible. Like I don't know what I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what the like how does the ball always end up in Marcus Smart's hands? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um I do hope, I mean, for Philly's sake, I do hope that they can actually run some more sets offensively in game five. That was one thing that was driving me nuts is the whole like dump the ball. I know that Joel is your go-to guy, but dumping the ball to him um, in um, in the high post and having him just kind of like hold it there for 10 seconds and then have to make a decision when he's clearly completely gassed, run more pick and roll, like figure out that, that pocket pass. I don't, I'm not sure there's anybody in the entire league that's better than Harden at that pick-and-roll pocket pass one-handed to Joel, and he just pops from, you know, 10 feet. Let's run some more of that. Let's run some more through Maxi. I do think that there's still a legit shot for this team to win in Game 5, but I think they need to... They need to run some actual sets to do that. I, I noticed that today yeah. in the first half. The Sixers are so... When they're... When they're on point on offense they're so well tuned to like the pick and pop pick and roll offense any like anything that they're doing where Embiid is in the mix like 
the other three guys, if it's not Harden and Embiid, if it's the other three, like they move so well around Embiid now. Like there was like three or four straight possessions, I think at the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, where Embiid had, he just, he just like played with his food and had his pick of any shot. And Harden made all the right reads. He made these really tough wraparound passes. Um, that's something I noticed the Sixers thrive at is any offense uh, where they've got Embiid on the screen, whatever they decide to do after that, like they, they, they've been able to figure out how to do that well against the Celtics so far. Can I All just right, let's move more... on to oh, yeah. Go ahead, Jay. Uh, sorry, just one more question. When no, you're good. I, where does Al Horford get off? Like, when will he stop? <laughs> Nobody wants Dude, that to block get that off. he had on Embiid. The block he had on Embiid at the end of regulation. Oh, I was like, what yeah. is happening? This isn't cool. It's not fun Al anymore. Horford is like <laughs> like fifty five. He's legit old, like forty three. <laughs> I've never watched. I've never seen him miss a three in the playoffs. I've never seen. Him. <laughs> I don't think it's happened ever. He's the anti Grayson Allen. He hits everything, (laughs) poised, cool, calm, and collected. I mean, yeah, he he is like the quintessential. (laughs) Doesn't Euro step with 0.5 seconds left on the clock? Just saying. He doesn't stare at the clock and then with a minute, with a second and a half left, and then decide to drive. Uh, We love you, Grayson, (laughs) except not really. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, our next category, category, best player. I alluded to, to this earlier when we were talking about Phoenix, Denver. This is going to be Jason uh, in this category. Jason, what do you have for us? So after the first game ended today, I was like, am I going to give this to James Harden? Because he had he's had two 40-point games where he had the game winner. Um, and that's about as good as anybody else has had. Um, and then the second game happened, and... Um, some two guys kind of passed him on the list. So I think it's a really close call between Jokic and Booker. Um, but I'm going Booker. Uh, I think, I think Phoenix's team needs what, De- what, what Devin Booker has done. Um, maybe even more than what, than Denver has needed Jokic so far. And just because Murray's played so well. And um, Booker is shooting, I think 63% from the floor before the game today. He was at 69% true shooting. He's truly in the 70s now in true shooting as a guard. Averaging... Absurd. Yeah. Averaging 36, uh, I think almost nine assists, I think six rebounds. Um, and just the way he played today, he it was like he was making the, bet, the right decision every single possession, whether it was... Sometimes it was taking a, a pull-up uh, jumper like two seconds in, Sometimes it was running something to get himself into a, a mid-range jumper. Uh, a lot of times it was a cross-court pass to the corner for a three for Shamit. Um, but he just, he's on a different level. He's having 36 in this series on over 60% shooting as a guard. And, and with the overwhelming majority of shots being jumpers. Just unbelievable stuff. And a dude who is really hitting his... Uh, stride and, and peaking right now uh, and the the crazy thing is that he when he played this season he was really good and he showed signs that he was taking a leap and that leap has been taken uh, and and so I mean Jokic is right there with him counting stats wise but weirdly like the thing that you normally argue for Jokic is that he has a better shooting percentage but actually Booker is out shooting him by like almost 10%, I think, like, like I think, uh, 
uh, Jokic at 55, 56, Booker's at 63. Just wild stuff. Which is insane because they're all, I mean, most of them are jumpers. Like he, every single shot he's taken in this, every single shot he takes, I'm like, it's going in. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. going in 100%. He is playing so well right now that if like aliens came from outer space and they yep. came, you know, to earth and were like, oh, who's the best basketball player in the world? They'd be like, it's Devin Booker, right? Obviously. The aliens with really strong basketball opinions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the very, very that guy in the desert, he's a... <laughs> hey, Landon Roswell, over. they're like, oh, it's a quick drive to Phoenix. <laughs> this is say, so convenient for us. He's really close to... Yeah, yeah I'll take him. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Okay. It's yeah. a, well, it's I mean, almost I, a, you can't... Sorry, go ahead, Chase. I was just going to say, it's almost another feather in uh, Kevin Durant's cap how well Devin Booker is playing. Like, again, we're for KD to do as well as he's, as he's been doing and still give the space, like, as a top, you know, 20, 30 player of all time, arguably, and then have Booker be doing as well as he's doing right now. Like, that's not easy to do, to be Kevin Durant, plug and play to a team and still let another shooter like Kevin shine like that, giving him all these takes. I mean, it helps that Booker hasn't, has only missed nine shots in the past two games, but it also, it's, it it also is a testament to Kevin Durant giving Booker like the space to like, instead of, you know, ball, 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 right? Like, like Kevin, Kevin Durant's making plays happen as much as he's making his own buckets and he's letting the other guys on his team shine. 34 for 43 over the last two games from the field. Oh, my gosh. 34. I can't. For, I can't. That's completely Again, he's not, these and aren't like layups, right? These aren't like shots. Or, I mean, some of them are, but he's pulling up from outside the key. Yeah, like he most of the time. He's certainly locked in yeah. the best two-guard in the league uh, uh, crown right now. No doubt about it. Insane. All right. Well, let's. For the sake of time, move on to uh, our next superlative, which is best chance to come back in the in their series. Chase, I'm going to kick it over to you. Who do you feel like right now, uh, who's down right now, has the best chance to come back in their series? I was going to say it's interesting because of, you know, a bunch of the 2-2 series ties right now. You know, right now it's between whether or not uh, the, the Knicks have a better chance being down uh, 2-1 or the Warriors having the better chance being down 2-1 and just you know listening to those words leave my mouth Warriors like right it seems like given the DN most of the DNA of the Warriors team still being intact including uh Iguodala on the bench he's still technically a warrior he's in the DNA of that team technically um uh, I want Iguodala. Uh, you know, it just, it, it feels like it. <laughs> give me Iguodala. I want Holyfield. <laughs> yeah, give me Iguodala uh, or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's tough because the Heat have just been this wild card. Like no one, no one thought the Bucks were going to implode. And of course the Heat showed up. The Heat played, played well, right? The, but the Bucks imploded. Uh, but, but the heat are up to one and now it's like, all right, like, is this luck going to run out? Uh, are the, are the Knicks going to really wake up and, and kind of like stomp, uh, stomp on them. But uh, the Warriors, I think still have a better chance, which is tough because the Lakers are playing defense, right? But, uh, the Lakers key to success to preventing the Warriors, even though my, my answer to your question is, I believe the Warriors have a better chance, right? Of coming back, being down. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's the, the same situation that we were just talking about with Jason Tatum. 
the Celtics ultimate success is whether or not Jason Tatum decides to put in like a full effort on both sides of the floor. And that's what the Lakers are running into right now with Anthony Davis. Like as Anthony Davis goes, the Lakers go. Um, but you know, Stephen Clay, Clay, I saw some ridiculous shooting numbers from Clay. Uh, oh, I think he has the most, Oh, um, he has the most, uh, like by two games. Uh, he has, uh, something like eight, uh, eight games in the playoffs where he's hit at least eight three pointers. And that's two more games than Ray Allen, the next most, the next highest up on that leaderboard. And Clay added, added to that eight three point game total this series. Like Clay, Clay's show, Clay's still here. He may not be like, you know, one of his top defensive, uh, as good on defense as he was in some of his recent defensive, uh, years, but, um, it's the Warriors. The Warriors have a better chance of coming back to beat the Lakers than I think the the Knicks do the Heat. Yeah, I'm not worried about Clay and Steph. And I mean, even Draymond looked a little, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. Sleepy, not not as locked in as he was in, in game two um, in his performance in game three. But my worry with that team is just their role, guys. I mean, Jordan Poole comes out, you know, full tough guy mode in uh well, game one, right, that they ended up losing. And then he's been absolute crap the last two games, which is kind of the Jordan Poole experience. You know, like I think in in a weird way, I think Kerr is still trying to figure out how to maximize their rotation. So he's thrown out guys like Moody, who's played basically not at all most of the season. Um, Kaminga can't seem to find the light of the day in that rotation. Um, there's just a lot of question marks with with the team right now in terms of who is that, who's going to be that guy that steps up. I think it could be Wiggins. Wiggins has looked fairly consistent in the series, but I tell you what, I mean, game three, like the Lakers just looked bigger, stronger, faster, faster, stronger, banner. More facial hair. Um, yes. <laughs> more facial hair. Um, so I, I think you're right, Chase. I, I would go with the, uh, with the Warriors as well. The, the next heat series has just been, the poop fest man it's been so it's it's been a, a straight up rock fight and i don't know man the the next offense just looks awful so awful i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna mentally bookmark this uh for for future trash talking purposes uh that everybody's picking the warriors to come back in this no it's kidding um i would i would i would do it too um it's called reverse psychology Jay. yes and as you, this is, the, we're saying we're saying it. Warriors versus Knicks in this scenario, not Warriors versus Lakers technically. Okay. <laughs> I will say, in the Knicks' defense, I mean, I like if you made me choose, I'd pick the Warriors as well, just because again, championship DNA. But a word for my Jalen Brunson, leader of men. I just, I, I, I don't, I don't think that 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 he's got enough to like drag that offense through like through everything um right just because he's gonna just need some different pieces to make it all fit together but i do think that we haven't heard the last from from jalen brunson and i wouldn't be surprised if we got one more sort of statement game from julius randall as well so maybe they can push it to six but i just wouldn't count those those lefties out that that's what i would say about the knicks so our, la- our last superlative, I mean, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with this because there's really only two series to choose from. But our last superlative was best, who has the best shot at closing out their series in five games? So you're basically looking at either Miami or the Lakers. I, I would like, Jay, we've we've obviously just talked a lot about the Warriors. And um, I mean, I, I'll be honest, like the Knicks Heat series, 
I don't know. I Miami could close that out in five games. I honestly have no idea. But I, I would love to hear your uh, your sort of pitch around the Lakers closing this out in five games. Because good heavens, would I enjoy that thoroughly? Uh, I I don't I would not encourage you to uh, get your hopes up for that. Um, I it, a, Lakers Twitter is very locked in on the idea of this Lakers team having a pattern. Um, the same way that the 2020 team had a pattern where they would lose game one and then win every series in five. Um, this team has a pattern where they win game one, take game two off, uh, win both games at home, hopefully, uh, and then take game five off and close it out at six. Um, just because all season they've been a, they've been a different kind of snip snap team um, when it comes to flipping the switch um, they flip the switch when they know that they need to, when the back's against the wall. And, uh, and when they don't, they don't. Um, and so I could very, I could definitely see them winning game four. I think it's, I think game four is going to be a war. Um, I think it's going to come down to one possession. Some crazy stuff's going to happen. Um, it's going to be a make or miss league at the end. Um, but I will say, um, I, I would not encourage anyone to bet on, the Lakers winning a game five closeout game in, in San Francisco, especially with how good the Warriors are at home. But if they do do it, it's because the Lakers break, like if the Lakers win game four by like 10 to 15, um, the Warriors might just like pack it up based on the way that this season has gone and the dynasty being over and stuff. Like they, they're at a point of potentially disintegrating those bonds. Um, so that's the pitch. It's not a strong one though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I do wonder, like, do you get, I mean, this is probably a dumb question because, of course, they believe, but, like, deep down, if we were to give the Warriors true serum, right, if we were to go to Draymond and be like, here's this delicious uh, true serum for you to drink, I mean, we don't really need to give that to him because he speaks his mind and speaks his truth uh, 100% of the time, but, like, do you believe, do you think that they believe deep down that they have the team and the <clears throat> chemistry to win the championship this year. I think, I think Steph does that. He went into game seven in Sacramento like he did, but I think it's going to take superhuman Steph to do it. Um, uh, and, and I, and I think like, I, I think you're definitely barking up the right tree when it comes to the chemistry for sure. All right. Well, on that note, let's get into our second segment of this episode, which is talking through real quick, uh, what we feel like our keys are to each series moving forward. So we're going to start with our Eastern Conference matchups. Again, we just touched on, uh, I mean, we've touched on all four of them, but we just touched on this series, Knicks versus the Heat. The Heat are currently up two to one. What do you guys feel like the key is uh, for each team moving forward to get it done? I think the Knicks should learn how to score more points than the other team. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, John no. Madden. Um, <laughs> Astute observation. I got you. <laughs> exactly. No, I think the Knicks, um, the, I know I, I taught. So one, I think that they should get Jalen Brunson going and they should get, probably get Jalen Brunson going late. If I was going to diagnose for, um, for the Knicks, I would say get, um, Randall going early, get RJ going, RJ Barrett going early, and then let Jalen Brunson close. Um, and I think early they should get away from ISO as much as they can um, and really get like quickly involved, 
get some of the get Quentin Grimes well. Get just get some get some good shots going there, and then let Brunson cook at the end of the game. I think that that's what what I would do for if if I were the Knicks, and just don't let people take contested twenty footers for the entire freaking. Dude, game. part of the problem is that's their whole that's their whole offense. I feel like we were talking about this months ago, right? When it was like. Oh, their their ISO game is so great. And one of my worries back then was, is that actually going to translate to the playoffs when these teams can game plan for you? And when you have Spolstra game planning against your Julius Randles and Jalen Brunson ISOs, it's usually not going to work out well for that team. I mean, I their offense, so again, obviously they, they've won one game, they've lost two. They're averaging 99 points right now a game, um, which is by far the last out of the eight teams that are left that the next closest team is at about 105, 106 points a game. So their offense. And, and again, we talked about this last series and they were playing Cleveland. Their offense is just not, it's, it gets super bogged down and it turns into Julius jab steps, like, you know, four or five times Jack, either jacking up a shot, pump faking, you know, getting like, and it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. So, I do hope that they can get going because I want this series to go. This is one of my the series I was looking forward to the most coming in. It just has not delivered for me. If I was going to be the doctor and prescribe something for the Knicks, I would tell them to look at what the Warriors did in game two, uh, which was basically they decided to, and they did in game three also, which didn't really work, but uh, they decided to split up Draymond and Looney more than they normally do. And I think the Knicks, I don't think the Knicks are going to, out tough uh the heat i don't think they're gonna beat the heat up on the boards enough to justify playing randall and mitchell robinson together very much i just don't think that's gonna work so i think you go small and play one of them at a time play some julius at center to spread the heat out um give the offense a little bit of juice and make kevin love guard somebody who actually runs around um and who can drive on him and who can kind of get him in space um, because if you play both bigs, I think you're kind of playing into the heat's hands a little bit defensively. All right. Any thoughts on the heat side? I mean, to me, it's, it's Jimmy as Jimmy goes, the heat go, um, man, it feels like he, he smells blood in the water, man. I don't, I don't know if you guys watched game three, but he was, you know, doing the whole screaming in one every time he got in one, which was a lot in that game. Um, <laughs> He just looks like he can, you know, taste the next round, taste the, the 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 Eastern Conference Finals, and who knows, man? Like this could be a weird, magical Cinderella run for them. They've got the best coach in the league. Um, I think if Jimmy didn't get hurt, we could have been talking about Jimmy as the the best player in the second series uh, or the second round over Booker potentially. Obviously, he was that guy in the first round. So I think uh, if he continues to play the way that he is, I think it's going to be tough for the Knicks to to rebound from this. I think uh, I th- I think they need to un the Heat need to unlock Bam a little bit more. Bam's playing well, like he's there, he's showing up. Um, it was like fifteen points in one game, eighteen or nineteen in another. Uh, but like when you've got like Caleb Martin like with the ball a little bit more often than Bam, like. I don't know. Like it, it, it doesn't feel like the the Knicks don't have a scary dominating presence down low. Like the more that they give Bam the ball on offense, the more it's going to space out the floor because they can hit hit the Heat can hit threes, right? They'll toss it to Jimmy. They'll toss it to Max Struess. They'll right. Like there's enough there's enough gravity on the perimeter that if they unlock Bam more down low, then it's game over 
for the Knicks. Like the Heat could just completely plow over the Knicks if Bam becomes more of a priority on offense because then then it'll keep them spinning. Dan, do you, do you have a visitor, Dan? <laughs> Say hi, Robert. Uh, hi, Robert. <laughs> I thought I thought Dan. I thought you were like the park. By my house? <laughs> that's uh, Dan's. Where I lead, go? That's Dan's lead singer, right? Right, right, right over, singer. right over there. Yeah, hey. yeah, yeah. That's the lead singer. Sick, bro. <laughs> All right, let's move. Let's move on to uh, our, <laughs> our next series. We've got uh, the Celtics versus the 76ers. What are your guys' keys to this series moving forward? I mean, I don't know if it's it's probably unreasonable to say, but. The Sixers need that version of Harden, right? The aggressive, the confident, playing with house money, um, spraying the ball to shooters, being confident in his own shot, looking for his own shot. And I think, too, like a big part for Harden is like trusting in himself, right? Like yeah, his playoff collapses before when, when he became unraveled. Like he just, it seemed like he lost confidence in everything that he brought to the table, like on, on the floor. Um, and obviously he had a rough couple of, he had rough games two and three, but one and four, he looked like, and he acted the part of like, Hey, like I'm going to go out there. I'm going to leave everything I've got and I'm going to do the things that I do well. So I think that the Sixers need that. And they continue to need, um, for and B just, I don't know, needs a new knee. Uh, I think he's doing as well as, as he can do at this point, but they're going to need everything that Joel. I think it goes back to what I think. Uh, Patrick, you were saying earlier, which is I think they need to do some things to make it easier on Joel offensively. I think there's a little bit to Joe, the same as AD, where if he's getting some easy buckets offensively and kind of rolling on that end, you also get the best version of him on the other end, um, which is something that they need. I think they need top-level, super-duper hero Joel Embiid. Um, in one of these Boston games, either five or seven, to get the series. I think they got to have it. Because game six, they could win because their role players shoot well at home. But I, to get one on the road uh, in Boston against this team that's been there, that's one game sevens, um, I think they need just the real stuff from him. Yeah, for me, the the story here is I do think that Boston still has a switch that they can flip um, that they haven't for whatever reason up to this point. Again, they're playing with their food a little bit. I think that if they start to play their game, especially in terms of like getting out and transition, this has been well documented on many, many podcasts throughout the season. Philly is really bad when it comes to transition defense and Boston's got the lineup to be able to run. And I don't understand why they don't do it more often. This whole like let's roll the ball in and have Marcus Smart stand over it so that the clock doesn't start until he picks it up. I don't understand that. Like, let's get out. Let's run. Let's make these guys run. Joel's hurt. Harden's been hurt on and off during the season and is, again, well-documented that he's not uh, exactly a lockdown defender. So I think if Boston turns it on, this could be over in six games. But, um, again, they haven't shown... They haven't shown uh, an ability to do that up to this point. So we'll see what uh, what game five brings. Okay, let's move on to our, our Western Conference series. Let's start with Nuggets versus Suns. What are you guys looking at as far as your keys to um, this series go? I think if I'm Denver, I obviously like what I'm seeing from Jokic, but I'm going to have to figure out how to maximize my other scores, specifically Michael Porter Jr., I think, um, where... 
kind of get him to calm down and then trust that Jokic is going to make the, the right read on different things. Also, Jamal Murray isn't playing well, but I think I'm going to need a little bit more out, out of Jamal Murray just to take that burden off of off of Jokic, right? Where Jokic obviously has the capability to score 50-plus in a game, but I don't. I just don't see that being the winning formula for, for the Nuggets, right? If the Nuggets are going to win, then it's going to be like 30 from Murray, you know, 20 from Porter, 15 from, from Aaron Gordon, and like between 25 and 30 for, for Jokic as well as some other like key players kicking in. I think that Phoenix did a great job at m- trying to turn Jokic into a scorer. So it's up to Jokic and Mike Malone to really figure out, okay, how are we going to maximize the other scorers on our team? Yeah, I... I'm actually thinking about the other end because I think they need to do something to slow down uh, this really free-flowing, confident offense that Phoenix is playing with. And I'm curious if um, if at some point uh, uh, Michael Malone is just going to lean into Bruce Brown in uh, a little bit more in the Michael Porter Jr. minutes. I think that's been something that's been in their backpack pocket all year. I don't think they're going to change their starting lineup, nor nor should they. Um, but I think they could potentially use uh, Porter Jr.'s shooting off the bench as like a little jolt to their second team offense too. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if down the stretch of a game you have three really solid wing defenders on the floor for Denver, uh, along with Murray and Jokic. I think that's probably their best chance to actually muck it up because none of those Phoenix possessions really looked like crunch time possessions. They looked, it looked like first quarter, easy offense, just like the rest of the game. I don't think you can do that and win a championship. No. And that's a, that's a frustrating thing. If you're Denver, right? It's like, to your point, Jay, I do think they have the wing defenders to at least make it tougher for Booker and KD, right? If you, if you sick Bruce Brown and KCP on Devin Booker for the, 42 plus minutes a game that he plays. I mean, he's going to get really tired at some point. You've got, if you alternate between KCP and Aaron Gordon on KD for, I mean, he played like 45 minutes tonight. Like that's going to catch up. It does feel like that's going to catch up to them at some point, you know, like KD is, is incredible, but he's got some injuries, right? The last few years and some wear and tear and he's averaging like 44 plus minutes a game in the playoffs. So um, I, I think that I, uh, I think that looking, especially on the defensive side and to your Michael Porter jr. Point, I do think that part of the reason why he takes the just ridiculous shots he does, I mean, he makes a lot of them, which is crazy, but I also think he, he sees himself as that guy, right. As being, he's, as being capable of more than what his role is on this team. So to your point, if they have, if there's an opportunity to, to potentially bring him off the bench or have him play more minutes with the bench unit and be able to kind of unleash him on offense a little bit more, I think you could see him a lot more locked in and maybe taking uh, less dumb shots, but we'll see. Um, okay, let's move on to our last series is Lakers versus Warriors. Again, the Lakers are up two to one right now. What are you guys looking at as your keys to the series over the next few games? Hopefully two games. <laughs> So I'm actually kind of surprised that right now Darvin Ham is winning the lineup battle in terms of finding the the right lineups and the and not just that but the right matchups. And you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on any of these. But um, originally he had Vando on Steph, kind of chasing him around. Now he's like, okay, now we're going to put Reeves on on Steph, who 
is, is doing a good job, but more importantly, he put Anthony Davis in a good position on any switch because he put uh, Davis on Jermichael Green. Van, is that Vando right? on Draymond, um, right? Yeah, yeah, Vando on Draymond. So that allows Vando to be the help side defender, right? Because, Dray- like, right, if Draymond is taking a jump shot, then that's a win for the Lakers there. And then by putting uh, AD on Jermichael Green, that allows AD to switch into anything and then also like yeah it just it just really really mucked up the 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 Warriors offense so if I'm Steve Kerr right who arguably like made his hay in the NBA by right playing that the you know right the lineup of death that originally in 2015 and be like okay we're gonna go small we're gonna break not just the finals but like the NBA itself by going small going five out and everything now it's it's kind of a, a delicious irony that this lineup problem is coming back to him. And I don't know if he's got anything up, up his sleeve at the, at this point to do, right. It, he doesn't have a lot of options. I thought the, the, the Jamichael green move was good because it put another shooter on the floor. It's hard to play Draymond and Kevon Looney out there, right? Looney's a little bit under the weather. Um, Draymond is, is obviously still Draymond, but he's, you know, he's not going to be able to out rebound or anything. Uh, Anthony Davis, when Anthony Davis is engaged. And so, is is he gonna supercharge you know Kaminga really small like yeah I just I, I don't really know what what uh what Steve Kerr is cooking up but he's gonna have to think of something because that looked pretty mean last so game. your point about I mean switching things up um I mean Draymond look like obviously one of if not the best potentially the best defender in the entire NBA he's still got it but one thing that that I noticed that really stood out to me for, from game two to game three was Draymond is typically, I mean, he's sort of made his brother bread. His bread and butter is his ability to sort of recover, especially on pick and rolls. And in game two, he was doing, he was alternating every pick and roll that came his way. He was timing it perfectly, messing it up, like mucking it up for, for AD. And I think that kind of threw him off. Um, and in game, and in game three, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there were a couple times where I was just like, AD, I think that the lineup change, shifting things around, um, allowed AD to kind of get behind that sort of back line of the defense on pick and rolls. There was one between him and Schroeder that was just like, oh, it was so beautiful, like perfectly timed, perfect pass from Schroeder, and Draymond didn't have time to recover from it. And I think that that affected Draymond last night. Um, He was, I don't think he was particularly verbose with the media which again is um a little bit strange for him typically he has a lot to say i think he kind of just like walked off the stage last night and he took two shots he was one for two in like 25 minutes um which was not a great sign so if the lakers can continue that man and look like i fully trust that kerr will have something some answer in game four now whether or not it'll work is a different question i think kaminga i mean i don't know what other answers there potentially would be i think trying to unleash Kaminga and seeing what you've got there. But for whatever reason, he's in, he's definitely in Kerr's doghouse right now, which is weird because I feel like he played really meaningful minutes in the finals last year. So I don't know what changed between then and now, but um, yeah, again, just really interested to see what, what uh, the sort of lineup machinations look like for game five. Yeah. Let's give Lonnie Walker some flowers. Um, He basically had only played garbage time since the trade deadline more or less um and he brought just a, he stayed completely ready and he brought a completely different look 
he's a dude who can knock down spot up threes. He's obviously super athletic in transition. He's fast. He's slippery. He had some really good screen navigation last night on defense, uh, chasing, uh, I think, Clay around. Um, that is an interesting addition. Um, props to Darvin Ham. Like, he's got like as much as much as 10 11 12 guys who could conceivably have a good playoff game and he's trying to figure out uh who to do and at the beginning of the playoffs he was playing them all and and then at the end of the Memphis series he did the right thing and he condensed down so there was no Troy Brown no Beasley uh, obviously no Lonnie Walker he hadn't played at all basically anyway and very little Wenyan Gabriel so he was down to like eight guys and now he had to, based on how game two went, he had to go ex- kind of like dig for a little bit of gold on the bench again. And he did it. Um, that's, he's, he's showing some flexibility that is uh, a real asset uh, to, to playoff coaching. And it's really, really cool to see. Um, I, I, I've had my doubts about Mr. Hands in the Pockets on the sideline but oh my gosh, um, the patented hands in the pockets <laughs> but but he clearly <laughs> has the guys bought in um some some signs of like some potential positive signs or potential uh on the lakers side is you know they wasted a really like vintage lebron first half in game two if he has another one of those and they actually kind of play with him the next time especially ad that could be a that could be a way to steal another game, um, and Reeves hasn't had a good shooting game either, um, and it's, it's in part because he's exhausting so much on the defensive end. I mean, this is a second year dude who is the Lakers' number one reliable perimeter defender on Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Like he's being asked to do a lot, um, That's a lot. And, and but I have to imagine he's going to start hitting these op- at least the open shots. Maybe he's not going to have the energy to do all the pick and roll mastery that he showed in game one against Memphis. But if he could just hit some open shots, I think a big part of the Lakers offense cooking and, and getting AD those uh, opportunities at the rim is if the spacing is there. Um, cause the, they have to have guys out there who the Warriors have to respect. And they're giving Austin Reeves a lot of open shots. They're giving Rui a lot of sh- open shots. He's hitting them. Um, Schroeder's getting an open three whenever he wants it. Um, and they got to knock some down to, to, to give some breathing room, I think. But yeah, I think if they win tomorrow, they're obviously in really good shape, but it's going to be a war. All right. Well, the moment has come for us to uh, wrap this episode up with Dirty Dan, the Magic Man's Mud Pie Moment of the Week. Dan, what do you got for us? Parentheses, Orlando, <laughs> That's Magic, Orlando Man. Magic Man. To you, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Come on, man. Okay, so I got a quick honorable mention to the Memphis Grizzlies, saying that they would not bring Dylan Brooks back under any circumstances. Which Terrible. just wow, really, really great, great PR. Um, I mean, and it wasn't that surprising that the Grizzlies would come out and say that, especially with them offering a contract extension to Dylan Brooks earlier in the year, bet on himself. Whoops. I've had that great, moment. At great the job, casino. Dylan. I've had that um, moment, you know. Anything <laughs> <laughs> is possible. <laughs> oh, man, exactly. No, so usually usually our mud pie moments are, are more, like, lighthearted. I'll go – This it's not crazy serious, but it's a little bit of a more, more serious route, at least in my opinion. 
Um, so obviously the Milwaukee Bucks let Bud go earlier this week. Um, and it's, I will, you know, quickly talk for a second about that being a tough situation for the Bucks organization. Um, right. For context, it came out that uh, Michael Budenhoser's brother um, died. I believe it was after game four um, passed away. So that obviously played a role you know, I, I think it's it's unquestionable that something like that would play a role in how he coached, in um, his presence and demeanor, and everything in leadership during over you know the the, the final five games. Now, um, to to think about it from the Bucks' perspective, right? Obviously, the season was tough. This wasn't the first time um, that a Bud coach team in the playoffs, you know, f- was fairly rigid, failed to make adjustments, under underperformed. Every, every, everything like that. So if you're looking at it just from purely a performance perspective, then it's, it's a decision that kind of makes sense. However, I think um, something that can get lost in, in this is like, it would have been really great to see the bucks. I, I don't know, just acknowledge the like Boonholzer's like humanity and his dignity in what's like a gotta be like a really, really terrible time. Um, and, and, and something like this, right. Where obviously we care about sports. We care about sports a lot and sports can carry a lot of meaning in a lot of people's lives. And part of that is our shared like humanity and something like this. So it would have been really cool to see, uh, the Bucks sort of rally around him. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have let him go. Um, but maybe I think having something to like acknowledge, um, his dignity and his humanity in, in like a pretty trying time, Rather, rather than, I mean, it seemed pretty curtsy. Maybe there was a longer statement, but kind of all I saw was like just the Bucks announced that they parted ways with him, and just like that, just I don't know. That just seems like it really, really sucks. So that's that's going to be my mud pie moment of the week. Well said. Yeah. What, was there any statement released? Because I don't, I didn't see anything. If there was, yeah, I I just saw it was either Woj or Shams. I I can't remember, but it was just like the Bucks have agreed to part ways. With, it was with weird because I felt like the sentiment was like the Bucks have fired. Mike Budenholzer, right? Yeah. I do think, especially in a situation yeah. like this, with a dude who, look, like, look, I've been very vocal about my qualms with Mike Budenholzer, especially over the last few weeks. Um, obviously, most of that was prior to finding out this just devastating news. Um, but the dude still, I mean, he still won you a championship for the first time in 50 years. Yeah. So to your point, Dan, like if there was an opportunity for you to have more of a sit down conversation with him, like agree to part ways as amicably as possible and then release some sort of statement, just saying how much you appreciate what he's done for the organization. Um, I think that would have been ideal. It, the, the news was weird. Like Shams and, and, uh, and Woj, the way they broke, it was like, he got fired. He's not here anymore. It was very sort of yeah. like Kurt, especially in a situation that's just like really, really brutal. I will say that other some organizations who have kind of wanted to move on with the, from their coach without like really putting them on blast have like released a statement that they're that they have moved their head coach up into a front office position, like an unspecified front office position. I think that might have been nice, um, a nice way to handle this situation. He he clearly is still in his prime as a coach and will get another job. I think uh, if not this coming season, maybe he takes a season off and gets his pick of the litter. But um, that would have been maybe a nice kind of a holdover thing uh, uh, to kind of send a message of appreciation and you know 
but it is what it is, man. Um, and like we said last week, you know, this wasn't this wasn't he had one bad series. This was kind of a culmination, and they got to make some tough decisions. And um, you know, especially with a new co-owner and stuff, um, they prop that co-owner might want to kind of get and get their own guy in there. We'll see. But yeah, a, a, a somber mud pie, you know. But a but a, a well said one. Was not expecting that. Yeah. Was not expecting that. But again, yeah. <laughs> well said. Well spoken. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty Dandy Orlando Garbage Man. Oh, well, signing off. It's been a great episode, boys. Uh, as always, appreciate the time. We are signing off for now, but we'll be back again next week cool. to and, talk uh, about Jokic's. Got, got some good games this week to talk about Jokic's uh, impending suspension, right? No, he's not gonna get. Oh my gosh, man! I yeah, <laughs> it could happen. People think it could happen. Like, Twitter is like very <laughs> much having the conversation right now, so we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, <laughs> time will tell. Matt, no. All right, boys, have a great uh, have a great week. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, y'all. Bye, guys. <laughs>